I'm going to begin a new series of messages. It won't be a very uh, lengthy series, but a series of messages on Sunday night I'm calling Feeling After God, and you'll see why. Feeling After God, Acts chapter 17, verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Feeling after God. Now, the theological implications of this passage should be rather obvious to us tonight. Uh, Several times the scripture reminds us that there is none that seeketh after God. But all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one aside to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him, that's Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. But there's none that seeketh after God. And yet this passage, Paul in this uh, sweeping message that he preached on Mars Hill in Athens so long ago, before the intelligentsia of his day, the Uh, Harvard, uh, Yale, all of that was all embodied there in this tremendous center of learning. And they had Paul, this Jewish itinerant preacher, in to speak. He preached to them famously about their altar to the unknown God, the God they didn't know. And Paul says, I'm here to declare him to you and Of course, in this declaration, where would you start? You start here. You start at the beginning. In the beginning, you start with God as the creator. And that's, of course, what he did. And we see it in our passage that God has made the world and all things therein. And that he is surpassing of all things human. He dwells not in in uh, temples that are made with men's hands. He doesn't need anything. That's a a quick synopsis of God as the I am, uh, the all-sufficient one, I am. That's how God revealed himself. He had made all the peoples of the earth. He appointed where they were. But there's this interesting little statement he did all this, God, Paul says, that they should seek the Lord. So that all of God's creative work, everything that he has done in creating humanity was to create people who would seek him. What he gave us, where he put us, what he did for us, the times that he gave us. I love the fact that Paul points out that God is made of one blood. All the peoples, all the nationalities, all races all have one blood. Uh, That is, the blood of all races are interchangeable. There was a long, long time that uh, people didn't think that. Uh, They thought that you couldn't 
take the blood of a, uh, of a white person, for example, a Caucasian person, and put it in a, uh, a black person, African-American person, or, or whatever. Uh, but we've disproved that long ago. <laughs> and, of course, God knew better. He, he had that a long time ago. It's made of one blood, all the peoples of the earth. But he made them all so that they might seek after him. And all of his creative work then was designed for that. But then Paul introduces this second thing, the thing that's going to serve as, as the, the subject of our messages over the next few weeks, how that God designed us, how that God created us then to feel after him and find him. Now, the word, of course, refers to the feeling and the sense of touch. It would uh, very aptly be used of a people who are having to feel their way around in the darkness. Just the way you and I do when we can't see and we're, we're feeling. <laughs> and we're hoping there's nothing down there on the floor that we're going to step on or that's going to trip us up. We're feeling our way along. What an appropriate concept that Paul presented in this realm of intelligence and education. They called him a seed picker and a babbler, but you know what? He told them that you folks are in the darkness, feeling your way around, as if you might somehow find God, though he's not far from every one of us. The theological implications of that are far-reaching. And quite frankly, I can't get my head wrapped around all of them, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. What did Paul mean by that? He meant exactly what he said, that God has created everybody, everywhere. He established where they were, put them in the places that pleased him, made them of one blood, and he made them to seek after him. Now we know at least a part of the theological implication of that because there was a time when humanity enjoyed unbroken fellowship with God. Of course, humanity was pretty small in number at that time. Two. Adam and Eve in the garden, sinless. Perfect, unbroken fellowship with God. We still sing about that time wistfully. When we think about the garden where they were. And how we long for that beautiful garden experience where God walks with us and talks with us and assures us that we're His. That, that longing is still inside of us for that unbroken fellowship and communion with God. Sin, of course, is what messed all of that up. But God's great work of redemption is working to bring that all back around. Thank God we look forward to that time when we will once again have that unbroken and eternal fellowship with God. We have no idea what that's going to be like. No idea. Other than to say, it's going to be incredible. Closest we get... It's what happens right here when we gather together and we lift our voices and our hearts together in worship and praise to Almighty God. 
But the personal implications, we could, we could spend all time, just a, a lot of time, wallowing around in all the theological implications of this passage. But I want us to move on and understand that a part of God's creative work, the way that God designed us, was with the ability to feel. And then there is that kind of feeling after Him. We understand that our feelings are marred by sin, just like everything else is marred by sin. Even our sense of touch is marred by the presence and power of sin. So all of that has to be redeemed, and it is redeemed when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. The Bible is full, though, of not just our sense of touch, but of all of our senses, all of our responses, all the things that we have to offer to God. Once we are redeemed, once we have been changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how our feelings then are to be used to seek after God. God has created us. God has designed us with emotions, feelings. We'll be talking about these and how they are to then be used to seek after God, to seek a closer walk with God, to more fully fellowship with God. So we build on this passage and this statement that Paul has given us so long ago, although we don't fully explain it and we're not going to spend all of our time there, but we will build on it to talk about the range of feelings that God has created us with that can enable us then to seek after Him. Love should come quickly to mind. That is God's first and greatest commandment to us. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Fear. We'll start there tonight. The fear of the Lord in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 says, is the beginning of wisdom. There's something about the fear that God says, you start here, and we'll be talking about that tonight. We'll talk about what it means to use our feeling of humility, how to humble ourselves, and use that sense of humility. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Which side of that do you want to be on? You want God resisting you or you want God giving grace to you? Well, of course we want grace. We'll talk about humility, how to humble ourselves before God. We'll talk about how to give honor to God and worth, ascribe worth to Him, to honor Him. Another emotion that we feel, that feeling of reverence and awe. We'll, we'll have that one. We'll have that too. Delight. Delight thyself also in the Lord. We'll have a message on that one. I've been working for several weeks. I've been trying to wrap my head around one. And it may come together and it may not. We'll just find out. If it does and we have one and you get here and you see it, then you'll know, yep, he got it. It it did come together. What do you do when you're angry with God? God created us with anger. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. 
Just Usually if we ever get angry with God, we're ashamed to admit it to even ourselves. But there are some passages, we'll, if it comes together for me, that we'll be looking at. If not, then you'll know that I chickened out <laughs> or something. I, I don't know. I really think we'll have that one too. So that we cover the, the range of emotions that we have, that God created us with, and that this passage tells us that He intends for us to use to seek after Him and find Him so that we might have a closer walk with Him. And so tonight as we begin in the fear of God, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning, it's kind of a start here of our approach to God. We want to acknowledge the fact that to the Hebrew and their theology, the person who fears God is what we would call a believer. A person who doesn't fear God is what we would call an atheist. That's the way they looked at it. If you believe in God, then you're a person who fears the Lord. That's a good thing. If you don't fear the Lord, then you're an atheist. You don't believe in God at all. It's always intrigued me that in that, their Old Testament concept of God and the way that they approached God, everything they knew about God, they said to believe in God at all is to fear Him. To fear Him. Psalm 111, verse 10. It's not like Proverbs 9 and 10 is the only one that says it. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. Proverbs 1 and 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. If uh, this was uh, a maze (laughs) and you had a map, it said start here. This would be where to start. You start with the fear of the Lord. God has created us with that ability and He tells us over and over and over and over again to fear God. If it is the beginning, it's also the conclusion. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Let us hear then the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep His commandments. It's the beginning. Fear God. And the conclusion of the whole thing. Where we get to. Is to fear God. The Bible you see doesn't present us. as starting out in the fear of God. And somehow moving along. And growing out of that. And to the point. Getting to the point finally. Where we don't fear God anymore. No. The conclusion of the whole matter. Is fear God. And keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. The New Testament calls on us to uh, bring holiness to completion, perfecting holiness, the Bible says, in the fear of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. The ESV had it, beginning, bringing holiness to completion. I like that because so often when we see the word perfect, uh, we don't really understand that it's talking about completion, bringing something to a state of completion or fulfillment. How do we then fulfill holiness? We do it. In the fear of God. And that's the first thing I want us to see tonight. Is that God is going to call on us. He created us with this fear. He intends for us to use that fear then. In seeking after Him. One of the reasons that's important for us. Is because it relates to our holiness. Perfecting holiness. 
bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Proverbs 8.13 says this, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Psalm 36 and 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. There is no fear of God before his eyes. This gives to us then both the positive and the negative side of the fear of God is relating to our holiness. On the positive side, the fear of God is said to be the hatred of evil. The only reason why we hate evil is because we fear God. Fearing God is the root of our hatred of evil. On the negative side, sin speaks deeply into the hearts of people with that tempting message. And that message is, don't fear God. You have nothing to fear from God. This is why our text today in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 calls on us to bring to completion or to finish our holiness in the fear of God. The fact is that God hates sin. He hasn't changed His mind. You might think that sometimes, but He is not. God still hates sin. Yeah, there's none in Him to hate. So it is sin that people do that God hates. We're saved. God doesn't stop hating our sins. He still hates it. The tempting message then that speaks deeply inside of us in the heart where the Bible says that our decisions are made. It tells us not to worry about God. It tells humanity not to fear God as if they don't have to worry anymore. But that's not the message of the Bible. It's not the message that God gives to us. And this isn't just something for lost people to think about because God puts it down too much for you and I. Fear of the Lord. Genesis chapter 20, verse 11. Abraham spoke of Egypt and said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. There's no telling, Abraham said, what these people might do to me because the fear of God's not in this place. Nehemiah 5 15, the former governors that had been before me were chargeable in the people and had taken of them bread and wine beside 40 shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people, but so did not I because of the fear of God. Oh, Nehemiah feared God. It's great to be in a country that's led by a ruler that fears Almighty God. And it's a tragedy to be in a country. That is led by a ruler that doesn't fear God. Has no fear of God. Psalm 147 11. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him. In those that hope in his mercy. God takes pleasure in them that fear him. So fear of God then is related specifically to the concept of holiness. To our behavior. It's a dangerous thing. To be in a place where people don't fear God. The second thing that the Bible gives to us then. The reason why God has created us with the ability to fear. And intends for us to use that fear then. in seeking after Him and finding Him. It's not only because it relates to our holiness. <laughs> but this is a good one. It also relates to our blessing. Look at this passage. Psalm 34 and 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who what? Fear Him. Fear him. The angel of the Lord 
encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. What a great passage. What a great passage and what a great promise. It's just packed with promises. Taste and see the Lord's goodness. When you, when you taste something, and you have experienced it for yourself. Now, there's a big old pile of cupcakes out there in the vestibule right now. I looked at them, but I didn't taste them. But they're there, and they're here to just share. One of our families brought them in and said, uh, y'all enjoy. Go by and grab you one. Taste it. Let me know how it is. <laughs> I know they're good. I can tell just from looking at them. When we taste something we've experienced for ourselves, taste and see then that the Lord is good. If you fear God tonight in this building, you have tasted and seen that God is indeed good. He's been good to you personally. Many, many times, and He continues to be. He calls to our attention the angel of the Lord, the Jehovah angel. And that is speaking specifically of the Lord Jesus himself. The Lord Jesus then, we could say, encamps around those who fear God. For us on this side of Calvary, we could claim that promise because Jesus promised us what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And because we have feared God, because we believe on Him, because we have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will never face a day without Jesus Christ. We'll never face an experience without Jesus Christ. We'll never face a time of trouble or a time of blessing without the Lord Jesus Christ being with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear God. Whether it's the enemy then who would do us harm or the temptation to sin and thus do us harm, it's still the same. There's the promise of provision. There's no want to them that fear him. The same psalmist also said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's take a quick look at some of the other promises the Psalms give us. Psalm 103 and verse 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Psalm 103, 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness unto children's children. Psalm 111 and verse 5. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. Psalm 145 verse 19. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. Yeah. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Last but certainly not least, Psalm 85 and 9. Surely his salvation is nigh unto them that fear him. Did I mention that this is the arrow that says start here? 
even salvation is promised to those that fear God. A person that does not fear God has no reason to seek salvation, has no reason to repent, no God to repent to. Salvation is nigh them that fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. We want our land to be glorious. Of course you do. You love our country just like I do. You want our land, our country to be glorious. Here's where it is. He'll fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. His salvation is nigh them that fear Him, that glory may dwell in the land. So God has created us then with the ability to fear is one of the things and one of the ways that He designed us to fear so that we could seek after Him and use that to fear Him, to seek after Him. Because it is related to our holiness, because it is related to our blessing. And last, it is related to our worship. I'm just going to give you this tonight and, and we'll be done. Psalm 22 and verse 23. Ye that fear the Lord... Praise Him. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. Praise Him. All the seed of Jacob glorify Him and fear Him, all ye the seed of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has He hidden His face from Him. But when He cried to Him, He heard. He heard. The fear of God then is related to our worship so that we express our belief in God, our understanding of God because we fear Him, we praise Him, we worship Him. We see Him for who He is, for what He has done. We might think tonight that the fear of God was just an Old Testament thing, but uh, I'll admit to you most of my passages that I've mentioned to you tonight have been from the Old Testament. But there's enough in the New Testament that we can see the doctrine continues on. And in fact, one of the great warnings of the New Testament in Romans chapter 3 was when Paul described a people who had no fear of God before their eyes. When people lose that fear of God, they sink down into lostness and darkness and depravity. God has created us with the ability to fear, with the intent that we would use it to seek after Him and find Him. All of us perhaps could ask ourselves the question tonight, uh, where's my barometer level on the fear of God? Do I fear God? Do I honor Him? Do I honor His name? Do I know Him? Do I have a relationship with Him? Have I received His salvation? Let's all stand together, please.